Let's talk about... Go ahead to spend some time in the Word of God. Let's go to Hebrews, the second chapter. And we'll pick up in the 14th verse. So we'll just see how far we get. Um, of course, we've shown that Jesus is better than the prophets. He's better than the angels. And that's where we finished last time. And that's the theme of the book of Hebrews is to show the... Uh, the Hebrews, those that had come out of Judaism into Christianity. Um, they were contemplating going back into Judaism. And Paul wrote this. The main theme was to let them know that Jesus is better. Don't turn back into uh, Judaism. And uh, it's interesting as you read the book of Hebrews with that in your thinking. How many uh, different... We'll see it tonight. How many different phrases Paul uses to uh, warn them not to uh, to give up and turn turn back. Remember, they were under a lot of persecution, a lot of tests and trials. And so anyway, in verse 14, Hebrews 2:14, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, that's Jesus, likewise shared in the same. That through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. And we showed you last week how he did that. And so I won't go through all of that again. But it's good to know that, that, that he destroyed the power. Uh, well, it said he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. And in First John, you don't have to turn there, but it says, For this reason was the Son, Son of God manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So it's good to know that the works of the devil has been have been destroyed, and uh, and then verse fifteen and release those who through fear of death. And if you study fear, if you ever do any studies on fear, the the at the root of all fear, the bottom of the the bottom of the you know when the rubber hits the road type thing at the at the root, the bottom root of all fear is the fear of death. Really, every fear comes out of that. Or gets back to that in some way or another. The fear of death. And it's like, you know, if you think about it like, uh, you know, a fear of flying. Now, I don't really have a fear of flying. I have a fear of dying. Well, I mean, think about it. If you didn't fear dying, why would you fear getting on the plane? You ever think about that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some people are afraid to go to the dentist. You know, some people have to take take drugs to where they can't even remember that they've been to the dentist. But different people are afraid of different things, like snakes. I mean, you know, some people will go see a black snake; they'll pick it up. Other people, you know, just you know, like me, just run down the road. So, uh, but anyway. From what I've studied, the, 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 the biggest fear of all is the fear of death. And it's good to know that Jesus destroyed him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Anyway, and, and verse 15, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And fear is bondage. It is bondage. That's for sure. And it has torment, doesn't it? There's torment in it. 
For indeed, now anyway, verse 16. For indeed he do, now, now notice this, for indeed he does not give aid to angels. Now this is something good to, to know here. God does not give aid to angels. In other words, when the angels sinned, remember a third of them followed Lucifer who became Satan. There's no redemption for angels. But he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. And that's good to know because if you want, you can turn to Galatians 3.29. And maybe she'll put it up on the screen for us. He does give aid to the seed of Abraham. And Galatians 3.29 says, If you are Christ, then are you what? Abraham's seed. So with that in mind, if you belong to Jesus, if you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior, then you're Abraham's seed. So with that in mind, let's go back to Hebrews 2.16. He does give aid to the seed of Abraham. So that's good to know, isn't it? He gives aid to Jesus, gives aid or assistance to you and me. Now in verse 17, therefore... In all things, he had to be made like his brethren. Now, this is talking about Jesus and his humanity. Not in his deity, but in his humanity. And we talked a great deal about that in the first session. Hebrews is coming at it, looking at Jesus' humanity, assuming his deity. In all things, he had to be made like his brethren... Remember, Jesus calls you and me brethren, those who believe in him. That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. To make propitiation, and another word for that, I looked for a good word for that that people could understand, because most people don't know what propitiation is. And there's several words I guess you could use, but one of the best words is payment. Payment. To make payment for the sins of the people. So we'll read verse 17 again. Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren. Jesus. In his humanity. That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. In things pertaining to God. To make payment for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered. Now notice his suffering here that it's talking about being tempted. And that really means being tested and tried. Remember Jesus was tempted by the devil, wasn't he? Remember right after he was water baptized? And he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. So in that he himself has suffered. And you see the resisting temptation is a suffering. Isn't it? And of course he was mocked and he was persecuted, Jesus. He was talked bad about all those things. You could you could put those in there, but but remember Adam was tempted in the garden and he failed. But Jesus was tempted and there was a suffering process in there. The Bible talks about the sufferings of Christ. 
as it pertains to you and me. It doesn't have to do with sickness and disease and bearing that. He bore that. But we do have to suffer persecution and we do have to resist temptation, you know. But it says in that he himself has suffered being tempted. Notice, Jesus is able to aid those who are tempted. Isn't that good to know? That he is able to aid those who are tempted. And with that in mind, it would really be good to go to Hebrews 4 verse 14 because Hebrews 4 verse 14 through 16 gives us a little more on this. And we're studying the book of Hebrews, so we'll just look at this now. Seeing then that we have a great high priest. And as we go along in the study, we'll see that Jesus is better than the priests of the Old Testament. But we have a great high priest, talking about Jesus, who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. And then he says, let us hold fast our confession. See, I underline that because he's talking to a people that are looking at at uh, walking away from Christianity, walking away from Christ. He says, let's hold fast our confession. Interesting. And then he says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are. I just said that, but now here we're reading it. Yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And if you put that together with what we just read in in Hebrews, the second chapter, when we're suffering temptation in our life, temptation to sin or a test or a trial, whatever it might be. The Bible tells us, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. And since Jesus went through everything and he faced everything that we'll ever have to face and he, he faced it successfully, he faced it successfully, we can go to him and he'll help us. Is that wonderful? Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mhm. Yes, fill yourself. Uh-huh. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. Well, that's good. And it's been helpful to you. Yeah. Well, good. Good. Excellent. Yes, his grace is sufficient. Yes. For whatever you're going through. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. And I think it's also interesting when you look at it from my perspective, which you've never pastored a church, but from my perspective is I can teach a message to 
you know, however many people. And I can even have an intent of what I want to get across to people. And I can stand at the door back there and greet people that go by. And you'll have this one got this out of the message. Or this somebody else over here got something else out of the message. And somebody else over here got something else out of the message. And somebody else got something that I didn't even... I don't even see how they got that out of that message. But God was using that to speak to them in some way. So, you know, it's uh, like like last... Uh, like last week, I taught on uh, being the prayer of agreement. You see, I taught on the prayer of agreement, and uh, and somebody and it was it was good. It was a great observation. They looked at that and they saw how our nation and the the people in Washington had been so divided and the government was shut down, and they 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 thought, well, you know, we need to pray for the government that they'd be in agreement, see? So, and, and that wasn't what I intended for the message, but that's what they took out of it, and it's a good application. So, so, so different people could hear the same word and, uh, and get different things out of it. So, very interesting. Anyway, so Jesus is better than the angels. It's a good point. And then in chapter 3, it says that Jesus is better. We'll see that Jesus is better than Moses. And remember, these people were Jews. And they held the prophets and, and in high esteem. And the angels certainly in high esteem. And Moses was right up there. And Abraham and, and so on. And, and uh, the priesthood. And as we go through here, we'll see that what Paul is doing is showing these people that Jesus is better. So let's look at chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession. Let's see, there's that word confession again. Christ Jesus. Who was faithful to him, that's to God the Father, who appointed him as Moses was faithful in all his house. For this one, talking of Jesus, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. You see what Paul is doing here? He's, he's saying Jesus is better, you see. Inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. Well, Jesus created everything, didn't he? The Bible tells us. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant. Now notice what Paul is doing here. He's showing that Moses, he's going to show that Moses was a servant, but Jesus is the son. And isn't a son greater than a servant? Yes or no? Yeah. Like over in 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 England, you know, uh, Prince Charles, he's the son of the queen. So would you say he's got more power over there than one of the servants at the door? Yeah, so that's what he's saying here. He's saying Moses was a servant. And see, these people looked at Moses as, and, and Moses was. He was one of the, the, the greatest men in the Old Testament. Moses was faithful in all his house for a testimony of those things which uh, would be spoken afterward. But Christ, see, Christ is a son. Over his own house. Whose house we are. It's interesting. Don't forget that. Christians compose a body. And also a tabernacle. Where we make up his house. You understand that? 
his body. If, if, now notice here, see, if, and I don't underline this, if, if, if. See, these people were looking at turning away from Jesus. And he said, if we hold fast to confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. You see that? We have to hold fast to the Lord Jesus. We hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of hope firm to the end. You see, that makes more sense to me realizing who he was writing it to. He was writing this to a group of people that were thinking about because of the tests and the trials and everything they were going through, they're talking to, thinking about walking away from Jesus. He said, if we hold fast, he's saying, you've got to hold fast to the confidence and the rejoicing of hope firm to the end. Didn't Jesus say those who endure to the end will be saved? Didn't he say something like that? And then... He starts quoting from the Old Testament and what he's going to do now, what Paul's going to do now in these next several verses is he's going to compare the Israelites who came out of Egypt, who were led by Moses in the wilderness. Remember those people? Remember the same people that made the golden calf? He's going to use these people to try to speak to these Hebrews that he's writing this letter to. And so let's read this and and, and look at it. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. That's talking about, remember, when the people came out of Egypt and they, they rebelled against God, didn't they? And they grumbled and complained and built the golden calf and all of that. You remember that? In the day of trial in the wilderness... See, these people were under trial. And he's saying, remember these people, he's saying, think all the way back to Moses. He just told them Moses was better, and he just told them that Jesus was better than Moses. And now he's going to, as I said, he's going to use the people that Moses led, who were rebellious. He's going to use those people to try to... He's going to use them as an example and he's going to say, remember, he's going to say to the Hebrews, remember what they did and don't do what they did. Did you get that? Okay. So with that in mind, let's, let's, let's go through here. Verse 8, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me. This is God speaking now. Where your fathers tested me, tried me and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, They shall not enter my rest. And you know, the bulk of them didn't, did they? Just Joshua and Caleb were the only ones that got to go into the promised land. They shall not enter my rest. Then notice verse 12. You underline verse 12 or highlight it or something. Beware. See, he's warning these people. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Remember, I brought this out the first night of the class. In departing from the living God. Do you see that? He's warning them. Don't do it. 
an evil heart of unbelief. It's interesting, when we think of evil, a lot of times we think of, you know, cussing or getting drunk or cheating on your spouse or stealing, committing murder or whatever it is. But notice, and those are all evil, all right, don't misunderstand me, but notice what else is evil. What is evil? Unbelief. Just said it, didn't it? And a lot of people wouldn't see, I mean, if we brought in here, uh, remember the old band from years ago, Black Sabbath? How many remember that? You remember Black Sabbath? What about Ozzy Osbourne? He used to bite the head off of bats in his concerts. I don't know if that was real or not, but we, you know, that evil, right? And we we would never let probably Black Sabbath come in here and perform, would we? Because we'd consider their music what evil. But it's amazing how much doubt, and I'll put myself in there too. How much doubt and unbelief walks through that door back there on a Sunday morning? Do you ever think about that? And God, I'm not putting anybody down. I mean, God says it's what? It's it's what? It's evil. Wow. Yeah. Unbelief. Yeah, yeah. You know why that is? Because Ephesians was one of the uh, most taught churches and one of the most mature churches in spiritual things. And the, uh, the Corinthian church was a bunch of spiritual babies. And so, and you know, you know, it's, it's, it's the, it's, I think any parent, you're gonna, you're gonna put, you're gonna put up with more junk out of a little bitty baby than you would out of, like, if I had a bunch of little kids in here that were, you know, talking and throwing paper at one another, you know, I'd ask them to stop it, but I mean, at a certain point, kids are kids, you know, you know what I mean? But if Dale and Donna were sitting over there right now, throwing paper at one another, disrupting the class, I wouldn't put as I wouldn't put up with as much out of them, and I'd probably speak more har- sternly to them than I would, you know. You follow what I'm saying, and I think that would answer your question. But it, but this unbelief here, we can also uh, qualify it just a little bit more. He's talking about all unbelief is 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 evil, I think. But he's he's really what he's really making reference to is in departing from who from the living God, and that's that's evil. Okay, so I want to qualify that. And then he says he tells them exhort one another daily and. Uh, Encourage one another. My wife did a little thing on encouragement that was so good. Uh, I'm going to have her share it one sometime, maybe with the whole church. It'd be great. But we need to encourage each other daily. 
I even need encouragement, believe it or not. We all need to be encouraged. While it is called today, lest any of you be what? Hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And something you can learn about. See, they were, in, they were in danger of being hardened. Their hearts growing hard because of the afflictions and persecutions. Being kicked out of their families for receiving Christ. And, you know, at last, you know, you, you, you get treated bad long enough. It'll harden you, you know. You know what I'm talking about? It'll harden you. And there's something about sin that's very deceitful. And the longer that it's... it's uh, it's it's practiced. The harder your heart will become, and you, it'll get hard. You don't. Your heart will become hard, and you won't. You don't even realize. It's like hardening of the arteries in, in the human body. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Diane. But can people have hardening of the arteries and they not even know it? Yeah, is that true? Yes. And so we can have our hearts can become, dull, as we'll see as we read on, dull and hardened. And we not even be aware of it. And unbelief. And unbelief is sin, isn't it? Unbelief is sin. The Bible says all that is not of faith is sin. The Bible says that in another place. So he's just warning them. And exhorting them and, and encouraging them. Verse 14, for we have become partakers of Christ, here it is again, if we hold the beginning, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. It's amazing how many statements like that he makes. Why is he making those statements? Well, if we understand that he's warning them not to turn away from Jesus, these statements make more sense. He says, We've become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. And then verse 15, while it is said, today if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So he says that again. He's reminding them of the Israelites who were rebellious. Verse 16, for who having heard, rebelled. Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? So that's who he's talking about. They heard the word of God and they rebelled. And then verse 17, and he's telling the Hebrews this because he's saying, don't do what they did. Don't be like them. Now with whom he was angry 40 years. Remember, they were in the wilderness for 40 years. It took them 40 years to make a two-week trip and they never did finish the trip, did they? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who who did not obey. Which was all of them except Joshua and Caleb. And actually Moses didn't even get to go in, did he? And because he struck the rock twice. And he messed up one of God's greatest types. That rock was a type of Christ. It's interesting. You remember him striking the rock twice? You remember that? See the first, you remember Moses striking the rock the first time? See the first time Christ is the rock. First Corinthians tells us that Christ was that rock. That rock was a type of Christ. 
And when he struck the rock the first time, that was, a, that was symbolic or a type of Jesus dying on the cross. Okay? And Jesus only has to be struck or he only had to die on the cross how many times? Once. The second time, Moses was told to do what to the rock? Do you know? Speak to it. And that represented, see, once, once we're saved, once we're Christians, then, then he said, speak to the rock. That's symbolic of confessing our sins after we're saved. You know, over in 1 first, in first John, 1, first John 1, 9, remember, says, it says that he's faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sins. He said, if we confess our sins, if we what? If we confess our sins see if we speak if we confess our sins he's faithful and just forgive us our sins cleanse us from all unrighteousness see Moses was supposed to strike the rock the first time that was symbolic of Jesus dying on the cross but then after we've experienced salvation through what Jesus did on the cross then after that when we sin and mess up we don't have to but when we sin and mess up we're not, we, don't have to, we, we don't have to get saved all over again do you understand? But we do have to repent and what? Confess our sins. So when Moses struck the rock the second time, he messed up one of God's greatest types in the Bible. And it cost him the promised land, didn't it? But it didn't cost him heaven because we know he's in heaven with the Lord. God thought so much of him. He's the only man in the Bible where God buried his own body. Is that right? Remember that? You remember that? God buried him. And the angels disputed, remember? Uh, Lucifer, Satan disputed. You could, you remember reading that over over Moses' body. But the, God took his body and buried him. And we know he's he was saved. Moses was saved because he appeared to uh, Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, did he? And he's listed in the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews 11th chapter. So I mean, he. He messed up one of God's greatest types. And God is very uh, uh, persnickety about his types. You know what I mean? I mean that in a good way. You don't want to tug on Superman's cape. You don't want to pull a mask of the old Lone Ranger. You don't want to spit into the wind. And you don't want to fool with God's types. And it cost him the it cost him the promised land. He never got to go in into, into that promised land, did he? But it didn't cost him heaven, did it? No. Anyway, uh, what verse did I just finish? Nineteen. Okay, so verse 18 again. And to whom did he and, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So you see, he's encouraging them. That he, he's saying to these people, look at those rebellious people under Moses. Don't be like them. They didn't obey. You need you need to not be like them. So we see that they could not enter in. They couldn't enter in. To God's rest. They couldn't enter into the promised land. They couldn't get in because of what? Because of unbelief. And he's imploring these people to maintain their, their, their faith in Christ and maintain the, their confession.
and maintain their, their faith in him. Okay? You alright? Doing okay? Well, Hebrews 4 then, let's go on. Therefore, since the promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear... And this, this word fear, it, he's not telling us to be afraid. He, he, here's how it actually reads in the Greek. Fear to distrust his promise. It is a fearful thing to distrust, distrust the promise of God. He says, therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear to distrust his promise, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. See, he's, a, he's, he's, he's saying, don't, don't stop short. Don't stop short of the finish line. He's telling them, don't, don't walk away from Christ. You understand that? For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. And I always find this interesting. The gospel has been preached from the Garden of Eden all the way to the present hour. Remember, Jesus was preached right after Adam sinned. He was preached in Genesis 3.15. She'll throw that up on the screen. Genesis 3.15, right after man sinned, God came in and preached the gospel to Adam and Eve. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, talking to the serpent who was representative of the devil, and between your seed and her, you need to underline her seed. That's talking about the virgin birth. Women don't have seed. The seed's in the man. And it's talking about the virgin birth. Did I get that medically correct, Diane? He'll bruise your head. You'll bruise his heel. So, the gospel and the gospel... uh, I think the book of Galatians tells us that the gospel was preached to Abraham... And Abraham believed God. It was accounted to him for righteousness. And the people got saved in the Old Testament. Just like we get saved in the New Testament. It was through faith in Christ. They didn't know him as Jesus in the Old Testament. They knew him as Jehovah. The, and they knew him as the coming Messiah. But we come over into the New Testament. Now he's known as Jesus the Christ. And we get saved the same way through faith in him. See, And it says the gospel verses Hebrews 4.2 now. For indeed the gospel was preached to us. As well as to them. To who? To the people in the wilderness. The the Israelites. But this is so good to know. But the word which they heard. Did not profit them. Not being mixed with what? Faith. In those who heard it. So if you hear the word. It doesn't do you any good. Unless you do what? Mix it with faith and if you really mix it with faith you'll not just be a hearer but a what a doer verse 3 for we who have believed do enter that rest so if you're a believer and you maintain your faith in Christ we've entered the rest isn't that wonderful As he said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Isn't that wonderful? And all they had to do was believe God. And they didn't. They heard the word just like we heard the word, but he just told us they didn't mix it with faith. And once you mix it with faith and you believe on Christ, you enter into the rest. You enter into rest. 
For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day. He said, God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest. That was the people of the Israelites. is because they didn't believe. They, they had that evil heart of unbelief. And they were grumblers. And you find me a grumbler and a complainer. And I'll find you somebody that doesn't believe. Well, that's pretty, that's pretty tough, isn't it? There's some, there's some doubt and unbelief somewhere in their life, somewhere. You okay with that? That was a pretty tough statement, wasn't it? Grumblers and complainers. I've been doing this a long time. And, uh, grumblers and complainers, when you get down past all of the grumbling and complaining, there's, there's an evil heart of unbelief in there someplace. I'm not saying that grumblers and complainers are all lost. I'm not saying that, but there's there's a lot of doubt and unbelief in there. Boy, that that statement there will sober us all up, won't it? Keep us from grumbling and complaining, huh? No, it really doesn't. That that's the difference. For we who, verse 3, for we who have believed do enter that rest. Now, where am I at? I, I get, I got lost here. What, where did I just stop? Four? Okay. Five. Alright, let's go down to six. Since therefore it remains that some, uh, must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of what? Because of disobedience, unbelief. What does unbelief produce? It produces what? Disobedience. Again, verse 7, he designates a certain day saying in David, today after such a long time, as it has been said, today if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua, this is talking about Joshua now, had given them rest, then he would have not afterward have spoken of another day. For there, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. That's wonderful. For he who has entered his rest has himself ceased from his works as God did from his. And I think what verse 10 is saying to me, that you can't work your way into Christ, you, you believe your way into Christ. And then once you believe, you see we have access by faith into, into grace. Okay, and once we enter into His grace, we can't work our way into grace, we believe our way into it, right? Is that right? Doesn't, doesn't Romans say, I think Romans 5.1 says, having access by faith, let's see what Romans 5, 1 says. Therefore having, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What does verse 2 say? There it is. Through whom also we have access by what? Into this grace in which we stand. See, you believe your way into faith, you don't work your way. I'm sorry, you believe your way into grace, you don't work your way into it. And that's what a lot of Christians try to do. Even, I mean, all of us. I mean, sinners try to work their way into the grace of God. And then even after we get saved, you'd be surprised how many Christians I talk to that I'll, I'll, I'll stand in front of a class of many or few. And I'll say, now that you're saved, and I'll ask people. I'll say, do you think, how much does your good works contribute to you going to heaven? And you'll be surprised how many people think. I'm talking Christians think that... Well, I went to church so many times and 
I was water baptized and I tithed last week. And, uh, but, but, it, but it's grace, remember, grace, or say faith plus faith in Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Faith plus nothing. How do we get into his grace? Through what? Through faith. Not by works of righteousness, but by faith. And once you see, see, religion will teach you that you've got to work your way in. But you can't. You believe your way in. Through, through faith and belief, same thing. You see what I'm saying? If they have faith in Christ, they are. If they have faith in Christ, they're saved. Yes. But, but what I'm trying to get across to you is that you'd be surprised how many people think that pay, paying tithes, Helps them get to heaven. Even after they have faith in Christ. Or by coming to church regular. Or by doing good deeds. Get your rewards. At the judgment seat of Christ. Get your rewards once you get to heaven. But it can't help you get to heaven. It surely, you better believe it. Yeah. No, for all eternity. Oh, yeah. Well, sure. How you act here in this earth. Yes. I mean, it definitely. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you understand what I'm saying. What I'm saying is walking through the gates of heaven, getting into heaven is a free gift. Yeah. Uh-huh. They're not taught. No. No. Yeah. So, no, no, wait, right. Right, right, right. Yeah, you see, it, it, it looks, if you look at what uh, Paul said about about this subject, faith and works, and you look at what James said about it, it looks contradictory, but it's, it's not. Because James, you just quoted it, James said that, uh, you know, faith without works is dead, being alone. He said, show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. He's, he was talking about, what James was talking about was a, uh, see, Paul was dealing with the sinner getting saved. James was dealing with Saved people who were essentially, and you could argue, you could make an argument, some of them may not have been saved. You get into a big theological argument, but remember James said, you believe there is one God. I'm real proud of you. The devil also believes. Remember? So he was, some say that James was talking about just a mental assent. See, mentally assenting that Jesus is the Christ does it save anybody? Or, or let me put it this way. If somebody really has the realization that Jesus is the Christ, it's, 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 it's almost without question in their hearts. But there's a lot of people believe that Jesus existed and that he actually died on the cross because history shows that to be true. They believe that in their head, but that doesn't save you. Do you understand that? And, and, and as you study the book of James on this subject, 
you get into the Greek of it, he's actually saying, can that kind of faith save someone? See, the kind of faith he was talking to them about over there was a, was a, was a, the Bible talks about a fake faith, a feigned faith, something that looks like faith, it smells like faith, it, but it's really, you know, it, it's, it's similar to faith, but it's really what it is, it's mental assent. And these people over in the, in the book of James, they were saying, essentially people would come up to the door, of their church and they didn't ha- they really didn't have our people would start attending their assembly and they didn't have any food they didn't have proper clothing and the saints would supposed saints would walk up to him and say essentially well we'll pray with you and they'd be warmed and be filled and they had means to help them but they didn't and James said does a saved person really act like that if you have the means to really help somebody and you don't help them? See, so so Paul was speaking to the sinner and he was saying that you get into heaven, you walk into the door of heaven as a free gift. Faith in Christ plus nothing. But then what Alex was saying was exactly right. This is what James really was getting at. Once you're saved... Then the good works, and you can see Paul talked about the judgment seat of Christ. And he talked about the, the gold and the silver and the precious stones. Remember that? And the wood, hay, and the straw. He said, we'll all, he's talking to believers and said, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be judged for the things done to the body, whether good or bad. Remember that? And he said, many will receive reward. And then he said, others will suffer loss. Your works will be burned, but you yourself will be saved. Yet so is through the fire. Why were they saved? And they, they didn't have to go to hell, but they, they spend eternity without reward. They miss hell, make heaven no reward. Why did they make heaven? They shall suffer loss, but they themselves will be saved. First Corinthians says that. Why is that? Because they had that simple faith in Christ. You understand what I'm saying? So, this is what I had to get through to my mother, and I thank God I got it through to her. Faith in Jesus is what gets you saved. Then once you're saved, then we're supposed to be full of good works. And those good works are important for eternity. And they can make your life better down here too. God will bless you down here and he'll make your life real good in eternity. I've said this for years and you can see it in the scripture. Uh, if you want a good assignment in the millennium and in, into eternity, what you need to do is be real faithful down here. Be real faithful, you know, and attend church regularly and pay your tithes and, and, and love, walk in love and all those things. But my point is, those things don't get you into the saving grace. What gets you into the saving grace is faith. Are you okay? Did I make that clear? Are you sure? Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no. And, and I want to say something about that, but before I move away from this, what, what I did want to reiterate is that um, there are people, I'd say almost all Christians I've talked to, not all of them, but almost all of them, if you did sit down and say, do you think your good works help you get into heaven? Now, they're saved people. They believe on Jesus. They really do. They're going to heaven. Don't misunderstand me. But they still think that their good works are going to help out just a little bit to get them into heaven. I'm not talking about reward now, but to get you into heaven. 
and, and we have to understand that our good works have nothing to do with it. And that's hard for a lot of people to, to swallow, you know, because I think, well, certainly, I mean, I went to church every single day. We gotta flip that around. Did you know that people could go to church every day, but if they didn't have faith in Christ, they'd go to hell, wouldn't they? And that's the real sad thing that there's multitudes of people in this nation that they go to church regular, they're on the church rolls, they've been baptized in the church, they serve in the church, they pay tithes, all that, all of that. They're even good, nice people, but they've never heard the gospel message of that you have to place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that something? And that's the saddest thing is to... Live your life in church, your whole life, and die and go to hell. Isn't that horrible? Now back to what you were saying. It's, it's uh, yeah, faith. You ask people, I'd guarantee it to you. You can ask, ask people that come to church, what is faith? And they wouldn't be able to tell you. And all you have to do is go to Hebrews, the 11th chapter, the first verse. It'll tell you exactly what faith is. And she'll put it up there in the Amplified Bible. And it'll tell you exactly, give you a Bible definition of faith, right? Right here at Hebrews 11.1 1 in the Amplified Bible. It's going to, now faith in, in math, is means equal sign. Right? Is is equal sign. Now faith equals, what is it? It is the assurance the confirmation, the title deed of the things we hope for being the proof of things we do not see and the conviction of their reality. Faith perceives as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. That's what faith is right there. Let's put it up in the King James. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And if you ask people, I'm, I'm even telling you people that's come to this church for 20 years and you ask them what faith is, I'd, I'd be interested. I'm not putting anybody down. It'd be interesting to see what kind of answers you would get. And a lot of times if you ask somebody about faith, just what you said, say, what is faith? They'll say, I'm a Baptist. I'm a Catholic. I'm a Protestant, I'm Jew, um, I'm a Muslim, you know, or whatever. And yeah, they, it's like a name for their denomination or their religion. What, 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 what faith are you? You know. But it, it has nothing to do with that. And actually, I wish, I wish Baptist had never been in, in uh, I wish that name would have never been put on an organization. I wish Methodist had never been put. I wish Catholic would have. It's all just man-made junk is all it is. Because people think, because they're, you know why I say junk? Because people think, I'm a Baptist, they're going to heaven. Well, who said? You go to heaven, not if you're a Baptist, not if you're a Methodist, not if you're a Jew, not if you're confused. You go, or a Catholic. And you know, there's a lot of people. When my mother went to heaven, I, I read the obituaries because I don't read the obituaries. I, I have read the obituaries maybe three times in my life and I noticed when she went to heaven, they still die in alphabetical order. Did you ever notice that? And I don't understand how that is, but people still buy, they still die in alphabetical order. Did you get that? That's hilarious, isn't it? But I read on, there, there's several dozen of them, you know, because people, you know, die every day. 
I think they could tell you every second there's bunches of people die. And I was reading obituaries. And it was amazing how many of them said, you know, uh, member of the such and such Catholic church, you know, was baptized. They said baptized into the church. Yeah, and all of that. And I'm thinking, my God, if these people died trusting in that. And there's a lot of people that do. They, they, I've been baptized when I was a kid. I was confirmed. I was baptized as an infant, confirmed. And they think that they're going to heaven because of that. That's, they're in, that's the way they see it. Being be water baptized is that removal of initial sin and it's not even scriptural. And so it took me many years. See, I, when I first encountered my mom on the subject, she said, well, she said I was confirmed as a child and I've been good to the old people. And uh, and thank God I had to reposition her. Yeah, and I repositioned her, and uh, I repositioned her. Bless God, and got her to see that we're saved by grace through faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. She placed her faith in Him. We prayed the sinner's prayer. We had a believing heart and a right mind, and accepted Him and missed hell and made heaven. Is that wonderful? So we could go on and on and on. Let's just close this up here and then we'll go home here. Where did I, where did I leave off? Ten? Alright. Yeah, let's start in eleven. Therefore let us be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? And there there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That's sobering, isn't it? And God sees everything that's going on. Seeing then that we have a great high priest... We, we read that just a while ago. So I tell you what, we're done with chapter uh, 4. Why don't we uh, stop here and we'll pick up with chapter 5 next time. We've got one more session and we'll try to get through. Hopefully next time we'll be able to finish chapters 5, 6, and 7. And then we'll take a break and then we'll come back later in the year and finish Hebrews. Okay? Alright, thanks for coming. God bless you. You're dismissed. I let you out early tonight. Now, that's a good, good stopping point. It's a good stopping point. Just a good stopping point. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you see, but if that's what you've been taught... Then, you know, and a lot of the people in the Catholic Church, as you well know, that they look to the priest to interpret the Bible. And they don't look at the Bible at all. Yeah. And, and, that, and that's really what, what the Dark Ages was all about. They wouldn't, put the, they wouldn't put the Bible into the hands of, we've dismissed already, wouldn't put the Bible in the hands of the people. And they wouldn't let it be... Oh, yeah. And then see, Martin Luther rose up and said, The just live by faith. And he, 
that was a 95 thesis or whatever it was. And, and then you had those Tyndale and those guys come along and they translated the Bible into, into the language of the people. No. Yeah, yeah, it's unbelievable.